Hey, Crossroads. I'm Melissa McDowell, creative arts assistant on staff. Man, if you had told me that I'd be up here speaking in front of so many people <laughs> and displayed on a giant projector screen at our Hayward campus, the thought alone would have been enough to send me diving through the nearest glass window, just like the cowardly lion in his first encounter with Oz, the great and powerful. And we may not encounter giant green disembodied heads floating in the middle of smoke and flames yelling at us, but we do face situations in our lives that are probably about as terrifying. And for many, one of the biggest challenges is public speaking. So this is my first time giving the message this weekend. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Thank you. I just have one request. You can throw your tomatoes at me, but only if they're organic. <laughs> now today, as we conclude our fake news series, I'm going to be delivering a live example of my main point regarding spiritual hardiness. Now, what is spiritual hardiness? This is something I feel has become one of God's great life lessons for me, a recurring theme. Maybe you have your own recurring themes in your lives, but for me, one of the big ones has been spiritual hardiness, which there on your outline, I define as acting in faith in spite of fear. It's forging ahead, even when it's difficult, trusting that God will deliver you. It's saying yes to something he calls you to do, even if you find it utterly terrifying. Possessing the courage to make important life decisions or do things you would rather not do instead of avoiding them or running away. For example, I volunteer with junior high students. If that doesn't instantly strike fear into your hearts, I'm not sure what will. <laughs> My husband, Mark, was the first to be involved in the junior high program, and he encouraged me to join. Now, I had never thought of myself as a kid person. I always felt awkward around kids, and I thought that my presence among them would hurt more than help, and that my quiet, introverted personality was not suited to being a leader in that ministry. I was afraid that kids wouldn't like me, and I didn't see myself at all as being any kind of role model for them. So when God laid this on my heart, I was like, me? You must really be desperate. <laughs> but I finally agreed to go to just one event, and I found that it wasn't as bad as I had thought, neither myself nor the kids. I discovered that junior high students are about as awkward as I am, so I fit in pretty well. And so far, I haven't scarred any of the students, not permanently. <laughs> what I found is that there's need for all kinds of personality types in student ministry. You don't have to be super funny or outgoing. You just have to be yourself and be consistent. And now, I can't imagine my life without this level of involvement in these students' lives. I was scared and uncertain, but I took a risk and gave it a shot, and I don't regret it. Except maybe on student camps when I'm stuck in the girls' cabin and they don't go to sleep until 3 a.m. Author Mark Twain stated that courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. In developing spiritual hardiness, the goal is not necessarily to eradicate 
fear or other feelings of discomfort, but to learn to function in spite of having them. When you make a point of working on this, you open yourself up for incredible growth and get to witness God's miraculous power. Now, I have a couple of tips for developing spiritual hardiness. The first three are primarily preparatory practices for the fourth, but, um, and that's what I'll most be elaborating on, but these will give you a solid foundation. First, commit to positive study habits. By this, I mean daily time in prayer and contemplation of God's word. This is how you strengthen your relationship with God and grow in spiritual maturity. The more you come to understand God's nature, the stronger your trust in him grows, and the more likely you are to turn to him first before relying on other coping methods for facing adversity or hardship. Educate yourself about God and who he is by reading the Bible. Second, equip yourself with iron. The iron I take from Proverbs 27, verse 17, is iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What this means is that we become like the people we hang out with. If there's a person you see as being spiritually hardy or strong, spend time with them, learn from them. Let their habits for growth influence and inspire your own. Basically, this is recognizing that you can't go through life alone and need to establish a support system in addition to relying on God. At Crossroads, we have lots of different small groups for you to join. They're a great way for you to find that extra support that you need, and being with other people can help you stay on top of your study habits. And third, sharpen your reflexes in response to temptation. Run from it the minute it comes under your radar. The longer you let it linger, the harder it is to resist. If you're facing temptation, pray. Develop an awareness of situations or triggers that may make you more prone to give, giving in and leave the situation or remove yourself from the people you're with. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. All three of these things require intentionality. They require consistency and self-discipline. They're choices you have to make repeatedly. Practicing these skills will strengthen your ability to carry out the next task, which is to face your fears. It's one thing to read about God's nature. It's another to experience it. And facing your fears gives you great experience. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we would rather not do, things that seem scary to us or are riddled with uncertainty. As I mentioned before, this topic has been like a recurring theme for me in my life, and it shows no signs of stopping. I can give you several examples just from the time I started coming to Crossroads, which was about four years ago. First, after finding out I was a musician, I was asked if I would audition for the music team. This terrified me because I had crippling performance anxiety. And here's an actual photo of me in response to that. <laughs> At the time, I was unable to play, even in front of Mark, 
at my own home. Growing up, I had always been extremely shy about playing in front of people. My own family would have to practically beg me to play for them, and the only way that I would do it is if they agreed to listen to me from the other room, and absolutely no peeking. But Mark and the church staff kept encouraging me, saying that there was need for more instrumentalists, and I finally acquiesced. When I got to the audition, it was all I could do to keep from running out of the building. But I stayed, and I played, and I passed. After being accepted onto the team, I actually had to, you know, start playing in the main services in front of hundreds of people on a stage with bright lights shining down on me. I was so self-conscious that I'd actually wear only dark clothes to reduce my visibility on stage. Working through my performance anxiety was no walk in the park. I do still get jitters going out, and especially if there's like a solo piano song, but being on the regular rotation, eventually I realized that sharing my musical talent was something I had always been meant to do, that it was actually my responsibility to, and that burying the gifts you are graced with is a sore mistake. Just read the parable of the three servants in the book of Matthew. I realized that my job as a musician on the worship team was not to attract attention to myself, but rather redirect it to the glory of God. And that made it a lot easier for me to play as time went on. But God wasn't done stretching me. A year ago, I accepted a position on staff. I was excited, but also filled with a bunch of worries and fears, just as I had when I was first thinking of helping out with student ministry. What if I fail? What if I hurt or hinder things more than I help? What if I don't learn fast enough? What if I make too many mistakes? What if I single-handedly destroy the church? As the start date for my new job approached, one night I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of loud music coming from my room, my living room. I was super groggy and confused as I got up to investigate. The music was coming from my laptop, which was shut. It should have been on sleep mode. There was this epic power gospel song playing from Spotify that I had never heard before. And I don't really listen to gospel music that much, and the singer had a really distinctive and piercing voice, so it really got my attention. The song was called Trust in You by Anthony Brown. The lyrics went, you did not create me to worry. You did not create me to fear. But you created me to worship daily, so I'm gonna leave it all right here. And then it goes on to describe surrendering to God's will recognizing that he knows what's going on, he knows what's best, and forging ahead with confidence in the promises in his word. Do you know how often fear is addressed in the Bible? I did a search for phrases like, fear not, do not be afraid, and do not fear, and they came up 85 times. These phrases were said by God himself, by angels, by God's messengers, or by prophets. And they were almost always followed by promises of deliverance, reassurances of God's character, or reminders of miracles that he had performed in the past. Why does fear appear so much in the Bible? Because fear is something everyone faces multiple times throughout our lives. It can stunt our growth, 
keep us paralyzed and stuck right where we are, or even get us moving backwards. And while fear has some usefulness by protecting us from potentially hazardous situations or keeping us from doing stupid things, hopefully, in most cases, fear has no basis in reality and actually becomes a thorn to hinder us from making progress in our lives. God addresses fear like this because he sees the truth that the fear we feel is fake news. In a previous message at Crossroads, I heard an acrostic for fear, and that is false evidence appearing real. To illustrate this and underscore the importance of facing your fears, allow me to share with you my experience with panic disorder. Since I was a kid, I've had problems with stomach aches. They would fluctuate in severity and frequency over the course of my life, sometimes even waking me up at night. I always thought that it was a problem with my digestive system or something, that I just had a really sensitive stomach. But when I reached college, it got to the point that they were striking every day. And they began to seriously disrupt how I was able to function at work and school. When Mark proposed to me in 2012, I realized I really needed to get a handle on my health. I was determined to have a happy wedding day and to recover so I could be the best I could be as a wife. I stopped by the student health center and found out that my stomach aches and nausea were symptoms of panic attacks and a psychological disorder. The nausea was so prominent that I'd barely noticed the sweaty hands, the difficulty breathing, and the racing heart. I had no idea that what I was experiencing were panic attacks. At the time, I couldn't go anywhere without fear of getting sick. My thoughts were dominated by when and where the next attack would occur. They'd strike in movie theaters, at concerts, restaurants, public transit, road trips, even casual hangouts with family and friends. I got in the habit of scanning every area for easy exits and escape routes in case I needed to leave. I was afraid that something bad would happen, that I'd cause some kind of social catastrophe if I stayed. I started to develop agoraphobia, which is when you intentionally avoid situations that might trigger panic or embarrassment or other discomfort. It got so bad that there were days I was afraid to step out of my own apartment. One day, I had a panic attack in my apartment, the most severe I had ever experienced, and I slipped into utter hopelessness and despair as I confronted the possibility that nowhere was safe and that I would never be free from panic. If you've ever seen the movie Inception, a panic attack is like those apocalyptic scenes where the dreams start to break down, the scenery is warping, debris is flying around everywhere, your whole world is falling apart, and there's nothing that you can do to stop or prevent it. It is mental and emotional chaos. When I went to my first appointment at the Student Health Center, I discovered new hope. I was relieved that I'd finally found an explanation for the stomach aches that had plagued me all my life and that there were treatment options available. I began a plan involving some medications and weekly therapy at the student counseling office. The type of therapy I did involved two major components learning about the panic and anxiety cycle and how your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are connected and facing your fears. 
I was tasked with identifying all the situations that made me anxious, and together with my therapist, worked up little by little towards confronting them all. This exposure is designed to train your brain to understand that these everyday situations aren't inherently harmful or dangerous to you. There's a part of your brain called the amygdala, which plays a huge role in fear and survival instincts, and it learns only by experience. Rationally, I knew that my fears of catastrophe were blown out of proportion, and that these situations were perfectly safe, but it still felt real to me. It made no difference in the way that I responded to them. I had to actively challenge and change my thoughts about them and accordingly adjust my behaviors by forcing myself to enter all the situations that I was afraid of. It was a very grueling process. I had to press forward, believing that doing all this would help me get better. All I could see in front of me was fear. When I was blinded by thoughts and visions of disaster, I had to keep going and act in direct contrast to everything that my feelings were telling me, as well as my body held captive by fight or flight. Now, you may not know this about me, but I happen to like horror movies. Bit of an oxymoron, I realize, <laughs> having an anxiety disorder. But <laughs> anyone go see the movie It, based on the Stephen King novel? I saw it with my friends when it came out. Instead of scaring me, it actually made me really happy after watching it. Because it is basically the therapy I went through in a nutshell. And by the way, this movie is not for kids. I'm just using the plot as an example. <laughs> it's about a group of friends who encounter a force of pure evil that preys on youth and takes the shape of the thing they're most afraid of. A clown, a creepy figure from a painting, a fountain of blood, and more. The kids decide to band together to confront it out of faith that defeating it will restore peace to their town. Through repeated encounters with this creature, spoiler alert, gradually their fear of it fades and the monster no longer has any power over them. There are a lot of close calls, but they win. In a similar fashion, every day, I had to choose to confront my own it in various forms in various places. Eventually, I overcame panic disorder, and I was able to have a panic attack-free wedding day. <laughs> of course, I needed to rely on my therapist's guidance, as well as support from Mark and my family. I'm lucky that they understand. I had to realize that I couldn't do it by myself. I needed that extra help. I had to bring that iron with me. Most of all, I had to trust that God would bring me through it. When you're blinded by fear, you can't see what's ahead or what could happen, or you can only imagine the worst occurring. You have to trust that hope exists beyond your perceptions, which leads me to my first piece of advice for facing your fears. Understand that feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts. This was something my therapist really tried to emphasize. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our emotions are a gift from God, allowing us to experience life on a level most other creatures on this earth can't. 
But left unchecked and unchallenged, our feelings can become like an Instagram filter, coloring the way we perceive ourselves or our situations and leaving us with an inaccurate assessment. I feel scared. Therefore, it must really be scary and threatening or dangerous or beyond what I can do or handle. Now, maybe it's not fear you're struggling with. Maybe it's some other feeling, but the same principles apply. God doesn't want us to live by our feelings. When we do that, we get into trouble. If you feel God calling you to do something that intimidates or scares you, or you're facing an obstacle in your life you don't think that you can get through, gently acknowledge whatever emotions are there. Don't try to stifle them. And keep in mind that reality may be different from your perceptions. We have to learn to view and live life from God's perspective. If you remember that ending scene in The Wizard of Oz, Oz ended up just being this old guy operating a special effects machine. So feelings are not facts. The fact is that God's got your back. I encourage you to do a search in the Bible yourself and look up all those verses that say, do not be afraid, do not fear, because like I said, they're often followed by promises of God's faithfulness and deliverance. Now, if you feel afraid, these verses are not meant to shame you. You're not a weak person for feeling afraid. Fear is human. And some people may have genetic or biological components or have had frightening experiences in their lives. It could be a number of different things that cause them to default to feeling anxious. It is possible to believe all of God's promises and still experience anxiety because an anxiety disorder is a medical problem and it's not something that people choose to have. But no matter what is going on, God, as our best and most faithful friend, wants us to be comforted. And he promises to deliver us every time from whatever it is that's happening to us. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. In Psalm 46, verse 1, we see the reassurance that God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And then in Psalm 34, verse 4, and I love the simplicity of this verse, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. The Bible urges us in multiple places to pray now. It might take some time, it might not be instantaneous, but God always keeps his promises and he will restore you. Read the Bible and see for yourself the epic pattern of his faithfulness throughout human history. With all this in mind, my next tip for exposing fear is to delay the decision to bail. In therapy, if I couldn't resist escaping a situation I perceived as threatening, I was encouraged to simply delay my departure. Okay, just stay here for 30 seconds. Okay, maybe I can manage a minute. Okay, a minute 30. Panic attacks don't last forever. We were created with the parasympathetic nervous system, which automatically restores our bodies to its resting state after a while. By delaying my departure, there was a chance that my panic symptoms would subside, and I'd be able to remain in the situation and see that it wasn't harmful to me. Psalm 27 verse 14 similarly encourages us to wait patiently for the Lord. 
Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. It tells us that twice. Wait. You can get through any situation with God's help, but you have to give him a chance to work through you and demonstrate that to you. There's a song by one of my favorite bands that goes, your mind will find a way to be unkind to you somehow, but all we really have is happening to us right now. Hold on, take that time to get grounded in God's presence and watch what he will do. Even if you can't see it at the time, God is working. Next, recognize God's track record in your life. I like to draw from the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. David, a shepherd boy, approaches King Saul about taking on the fiercest, strongest, and most physically massive warrior in the Philistine army who had been harassing and threatening the Israelites. No one dared go up against him. Everyone was frozen in fear. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the, from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Think about all the lions and bears God has delivered you from in your life. We've all been through some crazy things. We've all had points where we weren't sure we would make it, and yet, here we are. God delivered us each time. If you continue to read the story of David and Goliath, you'll find that David doesn't even equip himself with any armor or even a sword to confront Goliath. Being a shepherd boy, he's not used to all of that. Instead, he takes down this experienced and ferocious warrior with rocks and a slingshot. You may feel you have zero defenses or ways to cope with whatever it is you're facing, but God likes to use the weak or the least qualified to demonstrate what he can do. If you find yourself in this kind of position, congratulations! You've been selected for a miracle. When we allow Christ into our lives, we have the spirit of God living within us, and he is bigger and more powerful than anything you'll ever come up against. And my last tip for exposing fear, well, I'll just refer to this internet meme. Do it! Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. It goes on a lot longer than that, but I'll spare you. <laughs> Just do it. Let me give you an example of someone from the Bible living out this principle and obeying God in the face of the unknown. In Genesis, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, 
leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Leave your home, leave your family for a new land, entirely unfamiliar. I don't know about you, but that would really scare me. I used to have a phobia of driving. I got my driver's license late, and once I did, I just stopped driving. I was afraid of car crashes and wrong turns and flat tires and having to make quick decisions on the fly. I wouldn't even touch the wheel of a car for a while. I relied on public transit, on, on Mark and other people to give me rides everywhere. It was inconvenient and inefficient in many cases and prevented me from doing a lot of different things. Eventually, I got a job outside the town where I lived that necessitated that I start driving again, and I was forced to face the road. I tackled it little by little, one block, one stop blight, one freeway exit at a time. The most terrifying thing about it was having to drive to new places I had never driven to before, which in the beginning was everywhere. I had to look them up on Google Street View every time so I could know exactly where I was going and what to look out for. Now, the Bible doesn't go into detail about the emotions Abram had at the time God made this request to relocate. It just states that he just did it. Regardless of his thoughts or feelings, Abram took off for this new place as instructed and ended up being blessed beyond measure. To develop your own tolerance for the unknown, choose to say yes to God always. When you obey God, even when it's hard, God will reward you. Time and time again, God will prove to you that you can get through anything with his help. You will grow in spiritual hardiness. We develop this by choosing to face our fears and obeying God's calls in our lives consistently over and over, like hitting a buzzer on a game show. When I was asked to give this message, before fear could pipe in, I said, I'll do it. I'm not saying that you have to tackle all of your fears all at once. This is a process. When I reflect on the last several years, I see that God had a curriculum tailored for me. After the music time, there were times I had to fill in for dramas, times I had to sing lead vocals in worship, once I had to give the announcements. It's been like a series of boss battles in a video game. Find a balance between pushing yourself and knowing when to pause. When you're down for the count, take that time to recuperate, but don't give up. Put your boxing gloves back on and jump back in with the confidence that God's right there with you. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about, the Son of God who took all our sins upon himself on the cross and conquered death itself so that we could live with him in eternity. With that kind of power at our backs, fear doesn't stand a chance. There's this awesome song by Flying Colors that goes, stare chaos in the face, we need only to embrace. Don't cry or be afraid. Some things only can be made in the storm. Avoidance reinforces fear, but facing it head on 
gives God a chance to prove that he will deliver you and make a miracle out of you. I went from being a near shut-in at my apartment to standing here in front of you today. If Christ can bring me here, just imagine what he can do for you in your life when you say yes. Take that first step of faith. Invite Christ into your heart. He will meet you where you are and provide you with whatever you need and use you. Let's pray. Father, we're all facing Goliaths of our own in our lives right now. I pray that you would inspire us to act in faith in spite of fear and empower us in spiritual hardiness. Remind us of the trials you've brought us through in the past. You were with us then, and you're here with us now. Grant us the patience to wait for you while you work, the strength to stand on your promises, and the courage to say yes to your call on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.